Hey, I'm Christopher Schiefling, and this is Auscultation, a podcast in search of a humanities-based practice of healthcare. Thanks so much for joining. Today, we're listening to Alcestis by Rebecca DePew, a family medicine resident at West Suburban Hospital in Illinois, soon to be graduating and moving to Atlanta for a palliative care and hospice fellowship at Emory. Her work has been published in JAMA, Ars Medica, and Annals of Internal Medicine, which is the journal where Alcestis was published. Alcestis by Rebecca DePew. Those who die and then return are often silent which has never once been attributed to having seen God. Sometimes when I come back, I do not speak. Sometimes when I come back, I smell on my children's breath the tinge of flesh left too long unfed. Sinew without nerve, we are lightning set to smolder. I know that now. Before I left, I was told that the sun and the moon were too heavy for the same sky. I was not told that death would linger. I was not told that the river Styx was petty and bureaucratic. I was not told that I would always see the asphodel in its upper world daffodil shadows, and never again fit like salt into water in this living world with its olive trees and vineyards and chamomile tea in the evening. I belong to another world one that does not know what to make of such things. Some thoughts on the poetic voice. Alcestis is a wonderfully mysterious poem. There are so many unknowables with just enough hints to keep me coming back again and again to be rewarded each time with a new vision of the poem. I'm particularly intrigued with the question of the poetic voice. Who is the speaker, the eye of the poem? The title offers a heroine of Greek mythology as a possibility. Alcestis was a much-loved queen whose husband had made a deal with the fates that let him escape death when his time came, so long as he could find someone to take his place someone to die in his stead. But when he grew terminally ill, no one in the kingdom, not even his aged parents, would take his death. So Alcestis sacrificed herself. And this is where the stories diverge. In the more well-known version, uh, which comes from the play by Euripides, uh, the famous hero Heracles, also known as Hercules, goes down to the underworld and forces death to bring the queen back to life. According to another story, Persephone, the goddess of the underworld, as well as spring, returns Alcestis to life when she learns of her supreme act of generosity. And when she comes back to life, she's not able to speak for several days. Like Alcestis, the narrator returns to this living world and doesn't speak. Additionally, the illusions 
to features of the underworld of Greek mythology link the speaker to the eponym. The dead cross the river Styx to enter Hades, the Greek underworld, and asphodels are flowers that grow in this realm. Curiously, though, Depew never reveals where the speaker of the poem actually goes. While certainly there are many implications that this is a journey to death and back, it is never directly stated. And we only know for certain that the narrator leaves and comes back. We don't know for sure if the speaker is included in those who die and return. And while the the line, I was not told that death would linger, implies that the speaker's death did in fact linger, it ultimately remains ambiguous. Similarly, in the last stanza, we hear, I belong to another world, which does seem opposed to the living world of the previous stanza, but it still keeps the identity of this world a mystery. In a literal interpretation, those who die and then return refers to those who have been successfully resuscitated after a cardiac arrest. And these people have in fact technically died because their hearts stopped beating and they come back to life with resuscitation. And often they are silent because they are intubated and sedated as part of the common path for recovery. The next line asserts that this silence has never once been attributed to having seen God. And for for me, this is a, a poignant jab at how routine and medicalized the various spiritual event of resuscitation can become when working in the ICU. Resuscitation, after all, is a Lazarus called out from the tomb. It is also Quetzalcoatl stealing the bones from the underworld to recreate humans. Or just another day on the unit. Unlike most people who are successfully resuscitated, the narrator comes back many times. Combined with the ambiguity of where the speaker goes, this opens the poem to many different interpretations. Could these events be seizures or bouts of depression or some other relapsing and remitting illness? Uh, One of the readings that, that resonates with me is that the poem describes the conflict of coming back home from working in the hospital, especially in the ICU setting, which can easily be seen as its own type of underworld. Sometimes when I come home from work and can't stop thinking about the choices I made and whether or not I made a mistake, I don't speak either. And sometimes when I come back well past dinner, I can see the disappointment in my wife's eyes. And when I've diagnosed Parkinson's disease from across the restaurant on date nights, I also have seen the asphodel in its upper world daffodil shadows. Depew cleverly leaves many hints that point to a range of different identities for the speaker, while at the same time keeping all the suspects at the table. And I'm sure that the next time I read it, a new person will pull up the chair. This episode is brought to you by Second Chances. We all need them, and more often than we'd like. But the second draft is better than the original, and what would Thanksgiving be without seconds? To err is human, and so are Second Chances, which are second to none. Some thoughts on life after death. 
while there are many things that we don't know for certain, we do know that the narrator straddles two worlds. On the one side is the upper world, or living world, with its children, daffodils, orchards, and the excellent line about chamomile tea in the evening. On the other side is a murky realm that is only ever directly described as, quote, another world, and resist further definition. Despite the ambiguity of the particulars of this world, Depew uses a number of poetic devices to create a palpable feeling of this other place with oozes eeriness. First, the poem has a backbone of negative clauses or phrases that contradict the meaning of the sentence, or at least part of the sentence. For example, we hear, has never once been attributed, I do not speak, unfed, sinew without nerve, I was not told, which repeats three times, never again fit, and does not know. In a certain sense, these negative statements are an echo of death, which is defined by what is not present. No pulse, no respiratory drive, no brainstem reflexes, etc. More directly, the mention of unfed children and sinew without nerve are negations of vital life functions. We cannot live without food or neurological function. These negative clauses create an air of death as well as an amorphous world that is formed only by what is not there. The repeated use of negation is another way that the poem creates mystery, and this is particularly the case for what is not told or attributed. On the surface, these statements only say that the narrator did not hear these ideas, and there is no technical position on their validity. However, by choosing to list these things that were not said out of an infinite possibility of things that weren't said, there is some implication that these may be true. And the bit about never fitting into the living world does have confirmation at the end of the poem with the line, I belong to another world. The other statements, though, remain open to question. Is the silence actually Related to seeing God, do the asphodels really appear in the daffodil shadows? Like a dream, the wonderful images of this world, the petty and bureaucratic river sticks, the lingering death, the undissolvable salt, all these images lose their reality with the switch of the negative clause. Another literary device that fills the poem is enjambment which is a fun way to say that the phrase is split in the middle by a line break without punctuation at the end. Uh, so for example, the first phrase is, those who die and then return are often silent. However, Depew cuts this line in two so that the first line reads, those who die and then return are. And the second line continues, often silent. Ending the first line with are, the third person present of to be emphasizes the existence of these people. They exist. They are alive. Similarly, the last two lines strategically split 
the phrase about a world that, quote, does not know what to make, which finishes in the final line of such things. By itself, the penultimate line gives the sense that the narrator's other world does not know what to make at all, as if completely subjected to writer's block, or perhaps entropy. I strongly encourage you to read the poem for yourself, so you can experience the full effect of Depew's spectacular line breaks. With enjambment, the phrase is literally ended abruptly, which is another echo of death. In this sense, the continuation of the phrase in the next line can be seen as a literary resuscitation. These interruptions also create a sense of disruption, as we see in the three-line stanza, Before I left, I was told that the sun and the moon were too heavy for the same sky. In this case, the same sky seems to indeed be too heavy for the second line of the stanza, and so falls into a third line. The unsteadiness of such line choices helps us feel the unease of belonging to another world and to, quote, never again fit like salt into water. While enjambment splits the poem, there is also a lack of punctuation marks, which joins the poem into a long, unended sentence. Much of the time, we can feel where the different sentences seem to start and end, but other times, it is unclear. The best example of this is the superbly bewildering third stanza. Sometimes when I come back, I smell on my children's breath the tinge of flesh left too long unfed, sinew without nerve, we are lightning set to smolder. So how does sinew without nerve fit in? Is it something else that the speaker smells? Is it a description of the we in the next line? Is it an independent thought? Or some combination of all of these? The absence of grammatical separation creates another form of unease that comes from the fusion of disparate ideas and helps us feel the disequilibrium of the narrator's joined worlds. It supports the idea that the sun and moon are in fact too heavy for the same sky. It also supports the vision of the asphodel and the daffodil, which is an unexpected lingering of death in the living world. What's more, the use of enjambment together with the lack of punctuation is itself a union of literary devices with opposing effects. One cuts the sentences short and the other runs them on too long. This figurative negation is yet another poetic echo of the narrator's conflicted life after death. Alcestis by Rebecca Depew. Those who die and then return are often silent, which has never once been attributed to having seen God. Sometimes when I come back, I do not speak. Sometimes when I come back, I smell on my children's breath the tinge of flesh left too long unfed. Sinew without nerve, we are lightning set to smolder. I know that now. 
Before I left, I was told that the sun and the moon were too heavy for the same sky. I was not told that death would linger. I was not told that the river Styx was petty and bureaucratic. I was not told that I would always see the asphodel in its upper world daffodil shadows and never again fit like salt into water in this living world with its olive trees and vineyards and chamomile tea in the evening. I belong to another world, one that does not know what to make of such things. A very big thank you to Rebecca DePew, who gave us permission to read her tremendous poem. Alcestis was published in the Journal of the Annals of Internal Medicine in March 2023. And you can find links to more of her wonderful poetry in the show notes, which you can find at anauscultation.wordpress.com. And you can send comments, suggestions, questions to the Twitter handle at anauscultation or to the email anauscultation at gmail.com. Auscultation is produced and recorded on the ancestral home of the Ute, Cheyenne, and Arapaho peoples. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, follow, or share to help others find out about us too. Until next month, be kind and live the questions.